Tonight's session is being interpreted into Spanish. Sam or Alejandro, would you please introduce yourself and let our viewers know how to enable translation on their devices? Yes, thank you. Hello, everyone. My name is uh, Sam Guzman with the CLC, and along with my colleague Alejandro, we will be interpreting today's meeting into Spanish. I'll now give the instructions in Spanish. Buenas tardes a todos. Mi nombre es Samuel Guzmán con la CLC y juntamente con mi colega Alejandro estaremos interpretando la reunión de, de hoy al español. Si desea escuchar la reunión, la reunión en español, vaya al icono de Globo en su pantalla que dice Interpretación y seleccione de ahí su idioma preferido, en este caso español. Muchas gracias. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Folks, if you've got conversation, can you take it in the hallway, please? And if you're standing in the back, please have a seat. <laughs> thank you so much. All right, thank you very much, Sam. Uh, welcome to the general public comment session of November 6th. Before reconvening our regular meeting, City Council provides a half hour general public comment session to hear from the public on city matters, except for when scheduled for a legally required public hearing. To maximize time for resident comment, council will not offer comments or responses from the dais, but we may follow up um, if you raise matters that lend themselves to follow up. For those participating in person when called upon, please come up to the podium. On the monitor on the wall, you'll see your time counting down. For those participating virtually when called upon, please wait until our host promotes you to speaker. When you are promoted, please accept this promotion. Turn on your camera if you have one and your microphone. All speakers should begin their remarks by telling council your name and you'll have three minutes to speak. Please refrain from profane or obscene speech. Direct your comments to council as a whole and refrain from individual or personal attacks, including disparaging other speakers' motives. We will begin in chambers with Lisa Reveal. Good evening, Council. My name is Lisa Rayville. I'm the Executive Director of the Harm Reduction Action Center, Colorado's largest public health agency that works specifically with people who inject drugs and people who smoke drugs such as crack, meth, and fentanyl. What a week, babes. Am I right? <laughs> Whew. I'm here tonight because the $600,000 of the city budget that is shared between three syringe access programs was intended to be cut in the last proposed budget of last week. We are here asking for support to Councilwoman Parity's repeal of last week's amendment. Uh, the Harm Reduction Action Center's portion of the city makes up only 20% of my annual operating budget. The city has been funding us the same amount per year since 2015. We've been an agency for 21 years. We've only had the ability to legally exchange syringes in Denver for the last 12. We have a great collaborative relationship, are heavily monitored programs, and are great neighbors, we can assure you. But we, here we are in the worst overdose crisis we've ever been in with the most unpredictable drug supply, asking someone somewhere to find the money. Through your recent community meetings around town with the mayor, it should be no surprise to this council that the world is cruel to people who use drugs and those that are unhoused. The city's syringe access programs are the one safe space in the entire world Folks can talk realistically about their drug use and be welcomed without stigma or shame. Folks have access to supplies, disposal, testing, resources and referrals, health education classes pertinent to their needs, employment opportunities, naloxone, fentanyl and xylazine testing strips, street outreach in high drug traffic areas and encampments, advocacy efforts, hugs, high fives, a place to charge their phones, access to bathrooms, and a moment of respite. 
in an often harsh daily reality. But even if people don't need respite from the street there, there's nowhere else in the world people can ask questions about their use without facing stigma or shame. That is where we are. These programs do this daily while seeing the most folks we've ever seen. I cannot be more clear. We are in the worst overdose crisis we've ever been in with the most unpredictable drug supply. Denver is on track for the worst total overdose deaths this year with new drugs already coming off the East Coast. People we know, love, work with, and serve are dying of preventable overdoses every day in Denver. The overdose crisis is a public health emergency that demands a public health approach. I wish I was standing here to figure out a plan with this council about overdose prevention centers, which reduce public drug use and public overdose deaths. And I'm definitely here to mind, remind you that we will never treatment or incarcerate our way out of an unregulated and toxic drug supply ever. But instead, we're here trying to figure out a way to keep our programs funded next year. Please support this repeal of last week's amendment. People we know, love, work with, and serve are depending on us. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker in chambers is Aaron Porteous. Good evening, Council. I'm Erin Porteous, CEO of the Boys and Girls Clubs of Metro Denver. Boys and Girls Clubs is a safe, inspiring place for kids to be able to spend their time after school and all summer long. They're able to do so from the day they start kindergarten all the way until they graduate from high school. We fill a critical need for working families by providing holistic programs after school for kids from five years old all the way to 18. Our club members are supported in the areas of academic success, becoming strong leaders in their community, and learning how to make healthy choices. At 11 neighborhood clubs across the city and county of Denver, members find safe, supportive, fun places to go each day to achieve their greatest potential. Last year, we reached nearly 14,000 kids in the Denver area through our programs and services. Each day, more than 1,000 kids walk through our doors after they leave school. Members receive daily meals for free, play with friends, improve their math and reading, play sports, take field trips, and follow their artistic pursuits. Additionally, they participate in STEM programming, receive hands-on mental health support, social emotional learning activities, and learn what it takes to pursue the dreams, their dreams and their, their jobs of the future. This school year and summer, we're focused on the following priorities. This includes serving more kids and opening four new clubs. Also, a continued investment in our evidence-based programming, specifically for mental health for all members. Providing thoughtful and supportive academic programming that aids members in strengthening their literacy and their STEM skills. 91% of our members qualify for free and reduced lunch. 46% of our club members live in a single parent household with a median average household income of $30,000. But best to hear what do the Boys and Girls Club do every day is to talk to a club member. I'm thrilled to have two of them here today, Nevaeh and Naveen. Hi, my name is Nevaeh Garcia. From 2013 to 2023, I have made friends I know I will have for life. I've learned how to be a leader, a role model, and have gained experience for work and life at the club. The club has given me opportunities I would never dreamed of, and for that, I am thankful. 
I'm currently a junior staff. I want to give the same amazing experience I had as a club kid to everyone who walks through the door. Thank you, and I hope you can continue to fund our bright futures. And hi, my name is Naheem Williams, and I've been at the Boys and Girls Club for 13 years, ever since I was six, as the club gave me the opportunity to be better and others to be better, which this is why I like to say you should support our Boys and Girls Club community. Thank you all so much. Our next speaker in chambers is Ty Beldock. Council members, hello, my name is Taya Beldock. I would like to take this opportunity to direct your attention to a packet of letters that were delivered to city council chambers on November 3rd. These letters were signed by majority stakeholders throughout the Rhino Business Improvement District, concerned about the mismanagement and lack of transparency from our Business Improvement Board. We're asking that before you improve the, approve the $3 million bid budget that council join us in our request for an audit of the bid. For months, we have been unable to receive documents that have, we have requested to include street closure permits, insurance certificates, meeting minutes, and financial statements. The board has gone so far as to tell us that in order to receive a street closure permit, that we had to file a CORA request, which we did and subsequently learned that the street closure permit we had sought never existed, although we were told by members of the board and employees of the district that it did. The council members will also learn that the district hired the sibling of a contractor. The sibling was hired specifically to advocate for a project that would eventually lead to a lucrative design contract being awarded to her sister's firm. Hiring this employee might have been acceptable if that information had been brought forward by Charity Von Guinness, executive director of the district. Instead, a group of concerned property owners had to uncover this information. Other incidents of financial mismanagement include the signing of a $50,000 events vendor contract with no competing bids and the hiring of a full-time controller, which for nine years prior, the district was able to operate with this as a part-time position. And even now, with a full-time controller, we are still unable to receive financial statements. In previous years, the Rhino bid held public meetings to present the budget that will appear before you this week. Now it appears that the bid considers their meetings to be sufficient in lieu of a public hearing. The community outreach for this $3 million bid has been shrouded in secrecy to the point that I only found out about the bid budget draft on October 30th. Myself as a taxpayer contributed a little over $20,000 in 2023 to the bid and many of the stakeholders that are included in the packet pay substantially more. I spent this last Saturday walking Larimer Street from 30th to 40th visiting every single small business. Not one person on that block could tell me the name of the director of the Rhino Arts District, nor could they give me one example of how the bid had assisted them. This $3 million bid comes up for renewal in 2024. And without the chance to audit this governmental agency, we believe there will be little incentive for property owners like myself to support the bid moving forward. I have copies of the bid meeting minutes where I've annotated numerous discrepancies, as well as emails between myself and Von Guinness and her staff requesting financial information that to date I still have not received. I have made copies of my own bid budget analysis and left, and left them with Taya, council thank chambers. Thank you very much. That's your thank time. You. Our next speaker in chambers is John Eric. Hello, council members. My name is John Eric Beldock. 
Um, I've been a business owner in Rhino since before it was Rhino. Denver Walls was a mural festival with a $250,000 bid budget line item this past September. At one point I inquired as to where murals were being painted as in every year past, I've always participated in the event's predecessor by either donating walls or commissioning artists to paint on my properties. I was told that any information regarding artists and locations was confidential. On August 11th, I learned in a public video presented by the Arts District that one of the murals was to be painted on one of my buildings. I also learned that the adjacent sidewalk that I had just completed installing was to be closed for the event. After becoming aware, I immediately contacted the Rhino Arts District Director to voice concern that the property owner and insurance policy holder was never asked permission, let alone informed that this was being presented as part of the official event. So as not to gum up the works, I merely asked to be added as additional insured on whatever policy would be in place. I'm happy to share the ex exhaustively lengthy email thread between myself, the district, art, the arts district director, and a Denver Walls representative that the district director pushed this issue off on. I was finally added to a policy after numerous requests on the very last day of the event, September 29th, after pulling teeth to get this very simple but absolutely necessary step taken care of. Luckily, no one was hurt while work was being performed on my building. Heavy equipment was being used on the city sidewalk and beer was being consumed on that same sidewalk in front of my property. For something as crucial as liability insurance, this whole situation was treated as a fun little party by all involved without regard to the liability we were all being exposed to. This is just one example of how the district is being run in an unprofessional manner. I also just learned that my business of 25 years in that location has been taken off of the Arts District website. Apparently, the $20,000 plus that I paid in bid tax levy in 2023 isn't enough to hold a place on this Art District's website. Um, it, what does it take to truly be a valued member of this business community? I love our district and I worked very hard to help bring it to fruition as it was being formed and feel that it can still be good for all of us. As such a longstanding property owner, business owner, and landlord, many stakeholders come to me with questions about the district that I worked so hard to initiate. There are many with concerns about how things are being run and how the money is being spent. I'm asking that the council vote to hold off approving the budget currently being presented as it has not been fairly vetted by the stakeholders in the area. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker in chambers is Lissa Tao. My name is Lissa Tull and I'm the Vice President of Operations for Vibrant Health in Colorado. I'm here today to share our concerns about last week's budget amendment diverting 1.8 million in funding for harm reduction services and to ask you to restore funding. These cuts come at the worst possible time as Denver continues to experience a historic overdose crisis. Vibrant Health is a 501c3 nonprofit organization serving over 2,100 Coloradans impacted by HIV in the Denver and Pueblo areas each year. Our unique integrated comprehensive model of care brings together medical, dental, and mental health care, as well as multiple wraparound services. All of these services Vivant Health provides are available regardless of your ability to pay. One innovative approach to harm reduction in Denver is mobile testing. This concept involves bringing harm reduction services directly to those who need them most. 
we probably serve these life-saving services through our LifePoint program. Some of these services include providing sterile syringes and safer injection supplies to people who inject drugs, safety dispensing used syringes, distributing naloxone and fentanyl test strips, and referring participants to medical, mental health, and other supportive services. In recent years, our city has faced a rising number of individuals struggling with substance abuse issues in the associated, and associated risks. This issue has a profound impact on public health, safety, and the overall well-being. The demand for services we provide has never been higher. As a compassionate community, we must recognize that addressing this need is not only a moral obligation, but also a pragmatic approach to improving public health and safety. These services are well studied and have consistently been found to be highly effective at preventing overdose deaths and improving health of our people who use drugs. Our LifePoint program serves nearly 4,000 individuals over the past four years and helps stop hundreds of overdoses through the naloxone kits we provide. As Denver's only fully mobile service access program, our team regularly visits safe outdoor spaces and encampments throughout the city to meet the needs of our experiencing homelessness. We complete Excuse me. We complement our services with a prevention navigation program to connect people to additional wraparound services and eliminate barriers of care using client-centered approach. One individual who has received LifePoint services for more than two years told us how Narcan was provided and saved her husband's life when he overdosed using heroin unexpectedly containing fentanyl. Since then, she has come to our staff and to receive fentanyl test strips to help prevent future overdoses. Harm reduction strategies create a safer and healthier environment for everyone, including our most vulnerable community members. In conclusion, harm reduction is a vital component to addressing the increased need for services in Denver. Its positive impact on community is undeniably reducing harm and saving lives. Innovative approaches like mobile testing units are breaking down barriers to access and strong community partners are essential to creating a comprehensive safety net for those in need. By embracing harm reduction, we do not only show compassion and empathy to our fellow residents, but we also foster a healthier and safer environment for all. Thank Let you very much. That's your time. Thank you. Our next speaker, actually our next two are Nahim and Navea. Did you want to come back up or are you good? Okay, let's start with Nahim. as a Boys and Girls Club member, I had like a lot of opportunities growing up just to be able to, you know, do a lot of fun things and activities. But most of all, just being there just made me happy, being around other people and staff members who saw something in me that I didn't see. And for them, you know, to show me that I have all these skills and talents and stuff that I'm, that I'm able to do and all these opportunities that I have that I can be more, that I can be better and that I can be great and excellent. So that really, you know, helps me out a lot growing up as a kid, you know, having a hard time in life. So that's what I would like to say. Thank you so much for being here. Nevaeh, did you want to come back up? Okay. Thank you both for being here. Um, uh, we have uh, Rika Rodriguez signed up virtually. We do not have Rika on Zoom. Is that correct? Okay. Uh, we'll move on to Amy Beck. Good evening, City Council. Thank you for hearing my voice tonight. Uh, I'm a little hoarse, so I lost my notes down at Mutual Aid Monday, so I'm gonna just uh, do my best to roll with it here. Um, 
Thank you for increasing rental assistance. As you know, uh, people are falling out onto the streets at a high rate right now, and homelessness is increasing significantly on the daily, not only from the existing unhoused population that is here, but also from the migrant population that's being turned out onto the streets. Um, I do wanna say again that I support the disbanding of the SET team. Um, that is government-supported citizen-on-citizen violence. Uh, we have 1,500 uh, DPD officers out there that are enforcing on the unhoused all the time, and so we don't need citizens out there enforcing on them at the same time as well. Um, just so you know, I, uh, I wanna mention again, we need an amendment to the tow bill, the poverty tow bill that was passed. Um, we need to include outreach and we need to improve the reporting that is required under that bill. So once we get through the budget process, I'm really hoping mm -hmm. that we can talk about amendments to that bill. Um, I'm here, oh, and one more thing. Um, I haven't had a chance to talk to any of you about this. I would like us to, I would like to know how much money has been set aside for the aid center. Uh, because I haven't heard that, no one's been able to give me that number, but they have been providing very good services to the unhoused community, and I would like to see that continue. I know that they're low on funding. Um, I'm here to advocate for funding for migrant sheltering. Two weeks ago, I was alerted that DPD was removing families out of the encampment that was at Zunai and Spear. I went down there and that was happening. Thank you to DPD District 1 for removing families out of encampments. I don't think all DPD districts are doing that. And I would really like to see us removing families rather than sweeping them around. Um, this, is, uh, this is really hit home for me because I do direct street outreach and I'm at the sweeps. And so I'm trying to wrap my brain around how I am going to assist this city and sweeping toddlers from block to block. So we need to figure out what we're gonna do um, with, with kids because under the last mayoral administration, we did not have kids on the streets. I was able to call the Connection Center and anytime I ran across a child that was on the street and that child got off the street and into some sort of sheltering, that's no longer available and we now have children that are living in tents. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you for being here. Our next speaker in chambers is Robert Bongiovanni. Council President Torres and members of the council, thank you for this opportunity to address Amendment 23-1648, which passed council on October 30th. I'm Bob Bongiovanni. I'm the board chair of Colorado Individuals and Organizations Responding to HIV and AIDS. Our nonprofit is the voice of nearly 14,000 Coloradans living with HIV, thousands of Coloradans vulnerable to HIV and other blood-borne illness, and the organizations that tirelessly serve all these people. I also speak to you tonight as a public health professional with over 30 years of experience at the state and local levels. First, we sincerely appreciate the introduction of item 23-1696 tonight that would reverse the council's previous decision to slash funding uh, for desperately needed harm reduction services. We are in the midst 
of an unprecedented overdose epidemic. The drug supply remains very unpredictable. Three city contractors are on the front lines of this crisis, serving, saving lives every day. They have won the trust of a group of people who do not trust easily. They have never been busier or more vital to our city. The fact that the city's pool of funding for these contractors has come so close to being eliminated is alarming. If these contractors were forced to cut back, the inevitable increase in overdoses and drug-related illnesses fall directly on Denver Health. We must identify a steady, predictable source of funding for these desperately needed evidence-based public health programs. We implore council to pass 23-1696 for the sake of our community health and well-being and in support of common sense programs to get the job done and deserve our gratitude, not cuts. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Uh, we'll go um, on Zoom. We do have Rika Rodriguez on. Rika, go ahead. Oh, we lost Rika. Rika, if you can accept the promotion, we're trying to bring you into the panel. While we're waiting for that, we'll move on to our next speaker. That's uh, Carolyn Benton. Also need you to accept the promotion. While we're waiting for that, uh, Gil Vonderstrack. Sorry about that. I'm incredibly humbled by the speakers that we've heard here today. My goodness gracious. It's, I'm so impressed and, and appreciative of the work they, they are doing for our city. Uh, my name is Gil Vondrasek. I've recently retired from a career in organizational development, and I'm really here to support the police budget. Um, you know, what I really want to live in is a city that's vibrant and prosperous and safe and clean and fair and takes care of and enables folks to have a good life. And so much is going on here. And I believe the police department then is foundational to being able to have that prosperous, safe, and, 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 and great city. Um, my experience uh, is really about how you create high-performing organizations. And that involves great values, people that are accountable. Uh, it also involves uh, organizations that are sufficient, sufficient to the work that they need to do. And I'm extremely concerned that our police department does not have those resources to be sufficient to their work. And my experience of going to meetings that the police department holds is that we've got some great leadership. We've really got some wonderful, wonderful officers. And they need the resources. And if you look at some of the issues that we have in this city, uh, the uh, issues around traffic, issues around drugs, issues uh, around how we deal with some very basic, basic things, I don't believe we have those resources. And so I'm urging the city and urging the city council not to cut any budget from the police department. They are foundational. We need them to have this prosperous and, and, and great city that I think we all want. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. We'll go back to Zoom for Ms. Carolyn Benton. Carolyn, go ahead. 
Carolyn, unmute your mic. Can you hear me now? Yes, go ahead. Okay. Um, my name's Carolyn Benton. I live downtown uh, and I've lived here for 20 years. I used to walk down Cherry Creek with my grandchildren. Um, and I used to walk all the way around downtown Denver. I don't anymore. I'm frightened to certainly walk down Cherry Creek. I don't walk around downtown at night at all unless I'm with a group of people. Uh, so I'm encouraging you um, to please consider increasing the city's police department's budget. It's vital that we feel safe in our neighborhood. And I don't, I know I'm not alone. Um, there are others that weren't able to come and speak to you tonight. But um, the only thing I ask again is please, please consider increasing the budget of the police department. Thank you. Thank you. We will take one more speaker in chambers, Christine Brinker. No, Christine. Liam Warfield. Come on up, Liam. Hello. My name's Liam Warfield. I like to start out with some good things y'all are doing, just because I feel like a lot of people complain up here. Um, I think the e-bike vouchers that we have around here are pretty good, and I think some of the uh, newer bike infrastructure we have is really good, especially some of the stuff going up around Broadway right now. Um, but that being said, I think the bike infrastructure in Denver is very patchwork. Because of that is pretty dangerous at times. Uh, back in August, I got hit by a car on 6th and Nakoma while trying to bike to work. And that was because I left my normal cycle route to get over two streets to where there was another bike lane on Bannock Street. Um, and I got hit by a car turning out of the hospital. Um, and I, I'd like to see the bike infrastructure around Denver become better and less patchwork. And as a whole, I'd also like to see Denver become less car oriented. Cars take up 99% of our like transit infrastructure. Um, they're big, very inefficient, very dangerous to pedestrians. Um, and I think part of it is Everybody gets pushed out to the suburbs via uh, exclusionary zoning, specifically single family zoning. Um, and overall, like that causes densities go down, more people drive, other forms of transit aren't valid. Um, and yeah, that's all I got. Thank you very much. That concludes our general public comment session. If we did not get to you today, please join us next week or submit your comments in writing. The next session will be held on Monday, November 13th. Sign up begins at 11 a.m. this Friday, November 10th. And we look forward to hearing from folks again. Thanks for attending and stay with us for the Denver City Council meeting, which will start immediately.